0: Welcome. Come on in. Pull up a stool and let me pour you a drink. And let's talk a little noir at the bar. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Noir at the Bar, where you... Get to hear some of your favorite authors reading from their books and short stories. Now, this season, our guest readers are authors that are going to be attending the Left Coast Crime in Seattle, April 11th to 14th. So not only do you get to hear them on the show here, you can go visit them, meet them, and maybe get a book signed. Because I am with... Uh, James the Twelfth, who's been nominated or won about every award that that's out there for his crime writing, and he's going to be reading from *Face of Greed*. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, it's nice to be nice to be back here again. Yeah, I'll be reading from *Face of Greed*. It's the uh, first novel in a new series uh, featuring Detective Emily Hunter, and uh, I'm just going to read a, a little taste from the first chapter to kind of give you a little bit of what Emily's about and what she's facing and what she's up against. Uh, even before the investigation really starts. So we'll, we'll start with her story here. Chapter 1. Emily Hunter learned to be wary of open doorways when she rolled up to a call. In the five years of her assignment to the Detective Bureau of the Sacramento Police Department, she knew bad things often lurked in the dark behind partially open doors. When it was the front door of your own home at 7 in the evening, the anxiety bit deep. She crept close, listening for anything or anyone, who didn't belong her hand tapped the grip on the glock on her hip as she climbed the stairs the lights were on the television blared an infomercial for a product promising the end of dry skin mom Emily had moved her mother in with her four months ago after the 70 year old retired teacher suffered a series of memory lapses and household accidents the advancing scourge of dementia at Connie hunter was unable to live a safe, independent life in her own home. Mom, are you there? Sheila. Emily called out for the caregiver she'd hired to stay with her mother while Emily worked long hours as a detective. When no response came from within, Emily's subconscious went to a very dark place. She'd investigated a series of home invasions in the city where gangbangers targeted the homes of elderly people to terrorize and loot money and prescription drugs from the weak and the powerless. The front door hadn't been kicked in. There was no sign of a forced entry. Emily entered and scanned the living room. Except for the missing mother and caregiver, the home appeared normal. She turned off the television set and heard the kitchen faucet running. A quick look into her remodeled kitchen found the water running over a sink full of dishes, but no one there. She shut the water off and spotted spotted Connie's GPS-enabled pendant on the kitchen counter. She held the tracker in her hand. Then Emily heard the front door slam, followed by the metallic click of the deadbolt. She heard the voices before stepping into the living room. Sheila had draped a comforter from the sofa over Connie's frail shoulders. Her mother was wearing a light housecoat and a pair of fuzzy pink slippers. She shivered as Sheila rubbed her arms, warming her. What happened? Where were you? Emily asked. I found her wandering down the street near the park, Sheila said. Connie looked small and fragile in the housecoat, one too thin for the Cold spring air. Mom, what were you thinking? It was time to go, Connie said with a shiver in her voice. Go? Go where? Home. Emily bit her lip. It wasn't the first time her mother mentioned going home or the need to do something somewhere else. Sundowner syndrome, the doctors called it. A little gift that came with dementia, confusion, a sudden surge of anxiety, and a feeling that she was lost. And in a way, she was. Mom, this is home now, Emily said. I swear I turned her back, my back on her for a second while I was finishing up the dinner dishes, and she slipped out. She hasn't pulled that one before. What happened? She seemed a little more confused than usual, but I couldn't tell me why. I was She was watching her shows, and then she just walked out. I can't be responsible for her wandering off. You might want to think about moving her into a facility. I'm not putting Mom in a home, Emily draped the GPS locket around her mother's neck. Why weren't you wearing this? It's not mine. Yes, it is. Remember, we talked about it. Connie didn't respond, but the look behind her eyes was un- one of confusion and uncertainty. Emily's work cell phone vibrated in her pocket. Calls after 7 in the evening weren't, weren't telemarketers who should be banished to a leper colony. These nighttime calls invariably meant someone suffered a beating, a rape, another murder in a city with no shortage of victims. In earlier years, she wondered if she didn't answer the call, if she let it ring until it stopped, would the crime still occur? Could she prevent another victim from ending up in some desolate field? A few hundred calls later, her naive hope evaporated, and she came to terms with the fact that the flow of victims in the city was never ending. She stabbed the answer button. Hunter here. Evening, detective. Hold for the watch commander. A woman's voice instructed. While Emily Emily waited, she plotted to the office in the rear of her home and removed a fresh notebook out of the bottom drawer. She wrote on the first line of the first page, 19, 20, 1935 hours received a call from the watch commander. Hey, Emily, Lieutenant Ford here. Initial report is a home invasion gone bad. One victim dead and one injured. Another one? Where are we talking about? The location is, Emily heard rustling paper in the background. Here it is. It's 1357 forty third Street. That's a nice neighborhood. It used to be, anyway. I'll call Medina and get there as soon as I can, Emily responded. I called him first. His name was up on the rotation. Javier said he'd meet you on scene, Emily. And there's something else you need to know, Emily fell silent. The chief is already there. He's taking a personal interest in this one. Oh, sweet Jesus, that's never a good sign. Emily tossed the notebook on the desk. Gotta mean, this is a high-profile case, so watch your back. I appreciate the heads up. I'll be there as soon as I tie up something. She disconnected the call and tried to figure out how she could work the case remotely. Maybe her partner, Javier, could hold up his phone and live stream the crime scene. Who is she kidding? Sheila? Emily found her mother, and Sheila parked in the living room watching a television show that was popular in the 60s. Connie had calmed, and her face was relaxed. I can stay, Sheila said. I overheard the call. I think she's calm now. It won't be long until she's off to bed. I'll keep an eye on her. Thank you. Call me if there's any problem, but please make her wear that GPS pendant. I'll figure something out. As Emily changed into her fresh blouse, the thought of the chief wandering the crime scene kept surfacing. What drew the top cop out to a crime scene after dark wasn't going to bode well for the assigned detectives. Once in her dark blue Ford Crown Victoria, Emily let the defroster attack the rapidly forming condensation on the windshield. Sections of the window cleared and showcased the obnoxious blue Christmas lights her neighbor clung onto four months after the holiday season. They blinked on and off all at once, stabbing a constant strobe into the detective's bedroom window, another flimsy excuse for her insomnia. As the car warmed up, Emily got out and scraped a thin film of ice from the driver's window with the side of her hand. She stole a glance down the quiet street, gathered her shoulder-length dark hair in a ponytail, and stepped back into the shadows, away from the car. She followed the fence line to the neighbor's glowing, stale, yuletide shrine. Emily pulled the seventh and tenth small bulbs from their socket and partially re-threaded the maddening electrical orbs back into the strand. The entire string blacked out, and she basked in the electric silence without the hellish current knifing into the night. Then she returned to the car, backed out of the driveway and wondered when her lazy-ass neighbor would recognize he'd become the victim of a drive-by bulbing. Emily made a right on J Street and sped to 46th, where the glow from the blinking red, blue, and yellow lights of emergency vehicles exacted some sort of revenge for his neighbor's display. Residents of this upscale enclave didn't technically park their Benz, Jag, or Maserati on the street. Their precious status symbols were locked away in garages or behind walled courtyards. She recognized the silver crown in front of her as the mayor's car, and she crept forward until her bumper came within an inch of the mayor's sedan, effectively boxing the politician's ride again against a fire vehicle with a bright red and white sign warning, "Keep Back 100 Feet. The chief and the mayor at the crime scene, frickin' awesome. And that's where I'll leave it. That's great. And I'll tell you what I'm thinking about when, I, when I'm listening to this. This is something I'm working on is your use of senses as you're writing all those characters and the world they live in. Tell me how you incorporate, how you build out the senses and the characters and the world that they live in. I'm kind of a visual writer. I kind of have to immerse myself in that world. And this one was a little bit easier because the whole home invasion was based on an actual one of the first murder cases that I worked on. So it was a home invasion gone bad. The, the homeowner was was murdered in front of his family. What if that story unfolded differently? And that's kind of what stuck with me all these years was try to interpret that and and retell it in a different in a different outcome. But uh, yeah, you you get immersed in the in the, the sensory details of it. I think that uh, I enjoy reading that, and I and I hope by. I'm able to bring some of that into my work. Well, it shines in this in this book. Oh, thank I, I think you. everybody should grab it to to learn yeah. and to and to read and be entertained by it. It's it's fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a production of the House of Mystery radio show. show. To find out more about our show, guests or hosts, go to our website at houseofmysteryradio.com.